0: Turn with me tonight to uh, First Timothy, if you have your Bible. First Timothy, and we're going to read from chapter 1. And we're thinking tonight of the subject, the greatest saying in the world. And maybe you young people that are here might be able to Identify The particular text that we'll be focusing on For it's in this chapter 1 Timothy chapter 1 And we'll read from verse 1 Let's hear the word of the Lord Reading of course from the authorised version Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ By the commandment of God our Saviour And Lord Jesus Christ Which is our hope Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some having severed have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this That the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, Which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander Whom I have delivered unto Satan That they may learn not to blaspheme Amen and the Lord will bless to us this reading of chapter 1 of Paul's letter to Timothy Now my text tonight is taken from 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 and my theme this evening is receiving the greatest saying in the world. Now young people, this is one of five faithful sayings in the pastoral epistles of Timothy. That's first and Second Timothy, and the letter to Titus. And this first statement stands head and shoulders, I believe, above the rest. It's an amazing statement, one of the most profound. One of the most succinct and comprehensive sayings in the whole of the world. And it's coming up now. Soon we'll be thinking about the celebration of Christmas. And one reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of this very text of Scripture. Here's what Christmas is all about. Here's why it's celebrated. Think of these words. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, think with me for a moment of the setting of this saying. Because when you read the Bible, I just don't want to pluck a text out of its context and make it a pretext. You've got to think, you've got to remember that every text is a context. And here's Paul, and he's writing to encourage and instruct Timothy, whom he's left to pastor the church at Ephesus. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. And he reminds Timothy of one of the duties in the gospel ministry. And that duty was, as he told him, to um, charge some that they teach no other doctrine. And then as we come forward in the chapter in verse 11 Paul talks about the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now, now think of this as an illustration. Imagine you're traveling to a distant land and you're going from airport to airport and you have with you the sum of 1 million pounds that could either be in diamonds or in gold or it could be in hard cash. And You're thinking of moving from one airport to another and one place to another. Let me ask you, if that was a real situation for you, would you let go of your bag? Would you set it down? Would you not be on your guard and suspicious of anyone who came near to talk to you, who showed themselves friendly? Well, when Paul says that the gospel was committed to my trust, That's exactly the thought that Paul has in mind. God entrusted Paul with the gospel. It's a glorious message. It's the the message of the blessed God. And Paul is thankful not only that God has saved him, but, but that God has put him into the ministry. Look with me at verse 13. Paul says, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You see, the apostle Paul is filled with a sense of amazement and wonder. Before he was converted, he says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious person, but I obtained mercy. Here he is reflecting on the superabounding grace of God toward him. And in that light, then, he he, he comes to our text and he says, This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He tells us this is a faithful saying. In other words, it's one of the common sayings of his day. It was probably mentioned in his preaching. It was mentioned in praying. It was mentioned in their praising God. And it's not an overstatement. Paul is not being dishonest. He's not misrepresenting the value of the gospel. Paul is telling us the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. He says that this is not only a faithful saying, but it's worthy of all acceptation. It's worthy of one's wholehearted acceptation. It doesn't need to be qualified or clarified. It doesn't need to have an adjustment because it might prove to be untrue. This is a worthy statement. You you, you won't be fooled by this statement. You won't be misled. You won't be deceived. This is without any reservation. A statement of wholehearted substance. A saying that's real. A saying that's life changing. And yet a a statement, a saying to be embraced. And to be accepted and received by all who hears it. The Apostle Paul was conscious that as he preached the glorious gospel of the blessed God that was committed to his trust. He was conscious that that was the greatest story that was ever preached among the children of men. And I'm sure he delighted in this common, everyday statement that was being made. This is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, as you look at this text of Scripture in that context, in light of that setting, I want you to think of a number of things. I want you to think, first of all, of the person that's identified. Look at the text, underline the words, that Christ Jesus. And we'll pause there. Christ Jesus is at the heart of this text. Christ Jesus, of course, is Is the sum and substance of this very vital, important, faithful, worthy of all acceptation saying. This saying is all about Christ Jesus. Now that's important. You see the word Christ there in the Greek is Christos. And it has to do with his office. Not only is Messiah coming into the world but also as mediator of the new covenant. When the word Christ is used, it has to do with his office or his position. When Christ is used before the word Jesus, it's the office that he occupies that is generally in view. It has to do with the task, the job, the work that God the Father gave him to do. He is Christ, Christos. And, and he fulfills the office because he's the anointed one. He was anointed by God to be the prophet. He came with a message to proclaim, to teach, and tell us the way of salvation. He said, "I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me." He's anointed to be the priest. He, he, he came as a priest with a, a propitiatory sacrifice. He, he came to make a, a, a purchase, a, 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 and of course. The purchase that he would make would involve the shedding of his blood. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. And he was anointed to be the king. And as king, he has power. Now, now think of this tonight. Think of this title of God the Son. Also the Son of God. It's, It's a sacred title. It's not meant to be used as a swear word. It's not meant to be used as a sentence filler in conversation. The word Christ is connected to his deity because Christ, the Son of God, existed as the eternal word, as the only begotten of the Father. He had a pre-existence before the foundation of the world. The the name Jesus uh, is connected to his true humanity, his real flesh and blood body. If I was to ask the young people what Christmas is all about, I trust that they could tell me that it's about baby Jesus who was born in Bethlehem's manger a long long time ago and that statement would go a long way to understand that Christ Jesus is the reason for the season why do we celebrate Christmas well here's the answer because the baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger about two thousand years ago you know the shorter catechism asks the question who is the redeemer of God's elect And here's the answer. The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man. And so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. When you think of Christ coming into the world, remember it's Christ Jesus. He came to proclaim a message. I have a message from God for you. I've come to teach and tell you the way of salvation. I've come to tell you you need to be saved. You've got a soul and you're a sinner in the sight of God. And, and I've come to, to bring salvation. He come to offer a propitiatory sacrifice so that he appeased the wrath of God. He satisfied the demands of God's law and justice. He, he shed his precious blood to make reconciliation. And that sacrifice was himself. You see, as he functioned as a priest, a priest had two roles, to offer prayer and make a sacrifice. And Christ, of course, fulfilled those two roles in his priesthood. He came in power. And by the independence of his arm, he came to defeat our foes. He came to draw people unto himself by the word of his power. Repent and believe the gospel. He says, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And he comes to defend his people, to be a son and shield to them. So there's the person that's identified, Christ Jesus. And that's a whole sermon in itself. I want you to notice, secondly, the procedure that's mentioned. If you go back to the text, it says that Christ Jesus came. And we'll pause there. When you think of Christ coming into the world... You've got to think of his pre-existence Before he came into the world He existed as the eternal son Of the everlasting father The word came has a reference to his incarnation It's a reference to his virgin birth It's a reference to the Fulfillment of the first gospel promise The seed of the woman It's a reference to his birth and the fullness of time. It's a reference to his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension to glory. You see, it's all tied into this particular word. It's a reference, if I could put it this way, to the focal point of all history. The Bible tells us, listen to this text. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law. When the fullness of the time was come, when the time was ripe, R-I-P-E, when the time was right, R-I-G-H-T, the sovereign God of heaven and earth, the God of history. And remember, history is God's story. The story of the absolute sovereign God of heaven, who's over the affairs of men and all their actions, even including the wickedness of the sinner. God has a plan. God has a program. And he promised in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would come and it would bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent would strike at his heel. And now Paul says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Down the years, of course, there have been men and movements rose up uh, 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 to destroy and attack and wipe out the uh, seed and the stock of David and Jesse. And yet what they failed to realize, realize that God by his sovereign purpose was guiding and planning by his own supernatural hand. That when the precise time had come, when the perfect time had come, when the ideal circumstances from God's perspectives had arrived, God the Son came forth, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. He came supernaturally. He was born of women, but he was born of woman only. Over there in the Gospel of Luke, and we'll read this, no doubt, coming up to the Christmas story in Luke chapter 1 in the verse 35. This is what the angel told uh, the, 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 the young Mary. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He came sinlessly. He said in Psalm 40, I come to do thy will, O my God. Do you know he was born without sin? He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He came selflessly because he came on a mission of mercy for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came substitutionally because he came to Um, Offer himself as I've said A once and for all sacrifice for sin Think of Christ coming He came as a substitute As a surety, as a sin bearer As a sacrifice, as a sin offering That he might save, remember his name They shall call his name Jesus For he shall save his people from their sins So here's not only the person that's identified But the procedure that's mentioned He came Notice the place that's selected If you go back to the text It says something else Came into the world. We'll pause there. Here's the arena in which he came. This is the world after Genesis 3. A fallen, sinful world. A world of sinful rebellion. Our fallen world. Did you know that this world is cursed? We only have to think about the moral filth of this world. We only have to think of the reality that all of us, the offspring of Adam, were born in sin and shapen in iniquity. The psalmist said that, Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sinned, did my mother conceive me. Romans 3 and 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We were born guilty sinners. We fell in Adam, we sinned in him. We were born polluted sinners. We have hearts that love sin. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who could know it? This world in which we live is a place of immorality, a place of lawlessness, a place of godlessness. You think of the three and a half thousand murders in the troubles of Northern Ireland spanning over 40 years. You think of the news recently where it was broadcast at a... A baby that was only a few days old had been raped by a father. You think of a woman that's murdered her husband. You think of a man that murders his girlfriend. You see, in this world that we live, people tell us, but the world is improving. We're we're, we're in an enlightened age. Men are better educated now to, to the highest degree. But even though that's true and knowledge is increased, this world is a cursed place. It's a place of iniquity, a place of immorality, a place of wicked rebellion to God and his word. And I want to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter whether you're enlightened or educated, whether you're in the high stations of society or the lowest, your heart and mine is just as wicked and as polluted as the next individual. Here's the place that's selected. It's a condemned place. Remember in the days of Noah, God's judgment fell because everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Their imagination, the Bible says in Genesis 6, was only wicked or evil continually. There was a worldwide flood, and you only have to dig up some of the fossils that will prove that they world was destroyed by a flood. It wasn't a local flood. It was a worldwide flood. They reached to the very tops of the mountains. That's why the fossil records are there and in Mount Everest and other high mountains of the world. Uh, And the whole of the population in that day, in Noah's day, was swept away by the judgment of the flood. There was a real man called Noah. uh, And only him and his family were saved in the ark. And and that ark's a type of Christ. And remember, after the flood, God put a rainbow in the sky. and And he sent a message that he would not destroy the world again with a flood. But I want to tell you, he's already reserved this world to be destroyed by fire. Did you know that the Bible says over there in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, he makes a very um, telling statement in uh, chapter 3. He says, um, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is a condemned world. I want to tell you something else. This is a cruel world. Do you know when he came? Remember he was rejected. We read there was no room for him in the inn. That's why young people who was born in Bethlehem's manger. The manger was a feeding trough for animals. You think of the saliva and the dirt. And the straw that was there. And, And that's where they placed the baby Jesus. Having wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Remember when he came and was born. King Herod. Ordered the slaughter of all two-year-olds When he heard that there was a king of the Jews born Whenever he started his ministry We read in John 1 and 11 He came unto his own And his own received him not He was born at rejection When he began his ministry All hell opposed him Until three and a half years later Standing in Pilate's judgment hall They called for his death Crucify him, crucify him Here's the place that's stated. Notice, fourthly, the purpose that's announced. Look at the words in the text to save sinners. I put it to you that that's not a vague expression. You see, the Lord Jesus didn't come into the world to support men with a moral compass for life. He didn't say, well, I can can help you. Here's ten commands, and you try your best to live by them, and I'll give you grace, and it'll be okay. He didn't merely come to be a friend in need, although it's true he is the best and greatest friend of all. Solomon said, this is my beloved, and this is my friend. He didn't come to be a martyr. He didn't merely come to show us how much God loved us, although that's an element of his coming. He didn't merely come as the ideal man to show us how to live and how to die. He didn't come as a social revolutionary. He didn't come to set up a literal messianic kingdom, although he is coming to set up a literal messianic kingdom in a day to come. but he didn't come as the king to put out the Romans from occupying Palestine and, and set up as king in the first century. Paul tells us, here's the purpose that's announced. What does it say? A saviour of sinners. He came to be a saviour from sin. Remember what we read in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to these words. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him... Might be saved. If he came to save sinners, then the message of the gospel is he saves sinners from its penalty, as sinners were under sentence of death. The Bible teaches the soul that sinneth it shall die, the wages of sin is death. He saves from sin's power. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. He saves from sin's pleasure. He takes the love of sinning out of our hearts. In other words, he changes and transforms hearts. And there's many today want a, a full and free and forever justification but have no holiness of life because their heart has never been changed. And many profess the name of Christ and they're living a lie. As we said this morning, it's only an empty profession. They have no real saving appreciation of Christ. They have no love for Him, no desire to live for Him. And that's why the prayer meeting is absent for them. And that's why the Bible's an unread book. And that's why they don't mention the name of Christ. Because Christ hasn't really saved them from sin's pleasure. He also saves from sin's presence. He can bring the sinner into a new relationship. A saving relationship with God. A a special saving union with himself. A a new fellowship. God becomes our father. A a new family. Where we have confidence to live. We have a purpose in living. Many people have no purpose today. What's life all about? Why am I here? What am I doing? Where am I going? Well, you see, without Christ, there's an emptiness and a void that he alone can fill. He said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And it's only when you're in Christ that you have confidence to live, confidence to die. One day we'll all die. One day we'll depart this scene of time. You can die in your sins or you can die in the Savior. Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. You can have confidence to meet God. The Bible tells us, prepare to meet thy God. And if we were to go uh, to heaven tonight and stand uh, outside the gate and and asked, why should I let you into heaven? What would you answer? You've been a good person. You you attended church. You went to the Free Presbyterian Church. You prayed. You read your Bible. You gave to the poor. You you, um, celebrated good causes in the world. You were against this and against that. Would God receive us on that basis? Is that the ground of salvation? Surely the answer would be that I'm depending on the blood of Christ. I've received Christ as my Lord and Saviour. There was a time in my life when I bowed the knee and cried out, God be merciful to me, the sinner. Here's the purpose that's announced to save sinners. Notice something else. The profession that is stated. If you look at the text, Paul says, of whom I am chief. You see, this was not just a doctrine to Paul. This was not a theory, young people. This was not just an intellectual truth. Wasn't even a theological position for Paul. Paul was thinking of this fact. I'm the chief of sinners. I was once a blasphemer. And I've now become a believer. I was once a persecutor, and God has made me a preacher. I was an iniquitous, injurious person. I separated women from their children. I put husbands to death. I did this, and I did that. He thought about the wickedness of his old life, and he never forgot the pit from which he came, the pit of sin. A man with murder in his heart and mind. A man who was guilty of persecuting, as I've said, women and children and men. A man who cursed the name of Christ. A man who hated the Lord Jesus himself. And today he's writing to Timothy and saying, Not I was, but I am the chief of sinners. I'm now changed. My life has been transformed. I've now got a new lifestyle. I want to say tonight, if the chief of sinners is already saved then no sinner's too hard. And no sinner's too bad. And no sinner is far away that he can't be brought. Paul was saved in the Damascus road instantaneously because Christ came and arrested him. Christ revealed himself to Paul as he traveled near Damascus at noonday. He heard a voice. He saw a light. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he immediately asked, Who art thou, Lord? They got the answer, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then his next statement was, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Let's never forget, Paul was saved not only instantly, but gloriously changed and transformed on that Damascus road. And let's bear testimony to the fact that he's able to save. Let's not lose a vision of a lost world. Let's think about the biggest sinners in our community. Let's think of the stoutest sinner. Let's think of the neediest sinner. And let's bear witness and testimony to this fact that Jesus saves. And let that be a burden. Let that be a passion. Let that be a vision again in our heart and mind. Because I feel it in the free church we've lost that. And and it used to be that, that this church, this denomination was on fire with this mindset. He saves sinners. And if he saved the chief of sinners, then he can save those that claim to be hard and bad and far away. Notice one final thing a proclamation that's accepted. What does he say? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. This is not a story, young people. This is not a fable. This is not something that's made up or something that's false. This is true. This is faithful. This demands a wholehearted acceptance. It's it's worthy to be welcomed. Why would you reject it? Why would you reject him? And the only answer is, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And out of your own carnal nature, because you have a love for sin. Because you have a hard heart. Because you have a wicked mind. That's the only reason you'd reject it. Can I just tell you something in closing? Way back in the 16th of October in 1555 a man called Hugh Latimer, Bishop Hugh Latimer, at 70 years of age, was burned to death in Oxford by the Roman Catholic authorities at that time. As he was being burnt at the stake as a martyr for Christ, this is what he said to his friend with him, Nicholas Ridley, Master Ridley played the man for we shall light a candle in England by God's grace that I trust will never be put out. Now, glory to God, that candle has not been put out. It might be flickering because I believe that England has lost sight of the gospel. And here's the heart of the gospel, the greatest saying in the world. Now, why do I mention Hugh Latimer? I mention it for this reason. Do you know which text he was converted by? This very text. Do you know how he heard it? He was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. And as he was coming out of the pulpit one day, he was a gifted orator, a brilliant speaker, and many people came to hear him. And there was a man in the church where he was ministering called Thomas Bilney. And he was a wee small man. And as the preacher got out of the pulpit, was walking down the aisle, Thomas Bilney tugged in his coat as he walked past. And he called him Father Latimer. Would you hear my confession? Latimer said he would. So they went into the confessional box and they started this confession. This is what Thomas Bilney said. Father Latimer, I'm a vile sinner. I'm the worst sinner that ever lived. I have been guilty and he mentioned a few things that I've done. But you know, Father Latimer, I found a great verse in the Bible a great verse that tells me that Christ can save a poor sinner like me. And he quoted this verse, Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Did you know that Hugh Latimer was gobsmacked in that confessional? The tears started to flow down his face. He got down on his knees in the confessional and he said, well, Lord, if you can save the like of Thomas Bilney, you can save me. Save me in Jesus' name. And he came out of that confessional. Having knelt down as a sinner. And he got up as a true saint. And he started being a preacher. That it's not the church that saves. That it's Christ. And God's salvation is all of God and all of grace. And you don't need the church. And you don't need the priest or the confessional. And, and, And you don't need to accept the authority of the Pope. And of course he aroused the wrath of the Roman Catholic authorities in that day. And as I've said, on the 16th of October, 1555, at 70 years of age, he was burnt at the stake. Let me ask you as we finish, what relevance is God's word to you tonight? You young people that are here, and thank you for coming, and i love to see you. But what relevance is a text like this? Here's a text that meant a lot to this man, Hugh Latimer, because this was the very text through which he came as a sinner to Jesus. Could I ask you tonight to think about the person that's identified Christ Jesus? Think about the procedure that's mentioned. He came. How did he come? He came into this world via the incarnation of the virgin birth. That's the focal point of all history. Think of the place, this world, this this cruel, condemned, cursed world. Think also of the purpose that's announced, to save sinners. And this profession of whom I am chief. And if he saved the chief, then ask yourself, am I saved? Can he save me tonight? He can. Because here's a proclamation that's accepted. It's faithful. It's true. Has it any relevance? Have you received Christ? Have you confessed God be merciful to me the sinner? Are you truly justified? Have you desired to live out of love for Christ? So much so that you'd be prepared to die for him rather than deny him. May the Lord bless these words to your heart. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.